Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. Uh, thank you, boys, for filling in when I wasn't around last week. Uh, a bang-up job, as always. I I don't even remember what we said or did. All I remember is the uh, Brian Soar's dad bed at the end. That's literally the only <laughs> thing I remember. Yeah. I, I do take uh, uh, offense at, at being compared to Captain Jack Sparrow. But, you know, that's a whole other story. So that's, that's all right. Anyway, we are here to talk about the comics coming out on October 4th, 2022, starting with. Um, so we're going to start with Dark Crisis, the Deadly Green number one, because this is sort of the pre. You have to read this before reading Dark Crisis number five, which I did not know when I started reading them. And I so didn't I w- do that either. I wish I had known that because it would have been. A, oh, you a, ignorant. A more read. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I feel like. Uh... I mean, nominally, yes, you should, I think, but I also think it does not matter one iota. Oh, it doesn't matter that much at all. It was just, it's just, I, I, I it enjoy... does like spoil like a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's all. So this is written by a trio of writers that I feel like are a certain generation of DC writers. Like, you know, these, these folks seem like they came up together, and that's Rom V, Alex Pacnadel, and Dan Waters. And it's illustrated by Daniel Bayless, Tom Derenick. George Cambati- Cam- God damn it. George Cambiatus and Brent Peoples. Um, this is essentially a uh, John Kent Swamp Thing, Constantine, and uh, Raven story with a little bit of uh, Jade and Obsidian and Alan Scott thrown in. And look, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that this is a super important story to Dark Crisis because it isn't, but it's nice to see these characters being used and doing something interesting. Some of the art in this is quite good, and I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed there being sort of I don't know I don't what, I don't know what I'm trying to say here something different about this event. This didn't feel. Like, it could have been a story from any of the crisis events that we've gotten from DC. Whereas so much of Dark Crisis so far has just felt like sort of boilerplate, boilerplate, it's the end of the world, all the villains are together, what are we going to do? This felt different to me, and so I appreciated the difference that was felt, even if this wasn't necessarily the world's greatest story. Um, Zach, what'd you think of this? Um... I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as I like kind of hoped that I would, you know what I mean? Um, Uh Like I, I had pretty high hopes for this. Um, You know, it's been pretty easy for me to compare dark crisis to death metal in, in so much as like, I feel like the structures have been pretty similar. There haven't been quite as many tie-ins for dark crisis yet. Although I guess like you have had the like, worlds without a justice league um and the uh young justice yeah that way yeah weird which like a weird tangent that's almost more like the the dark knights metal tie-ins where you had the like one shots of the different evil batman Mm -hmm. yes in a way like structurally it's kind of more like the the and, and then you also had like a kind of like a tie-in side series although that was like a crossover between like different series you remember it was like green arrow and 
what? maybe like Suicide Squad and Nightwing. Was I that think. was that metal or death metal? I'm pretty sure it was metal. Yeah, I think that was metal as well. Uh, but then there was a there was a side thing as well with death metal, um, a tie in with I can't remember the series, but it was the one where they were like all medieval. Remember? Yeah, I remember it was Dick Justice Grayson. League. Dick Grayson was like the uh, yeah the lead of that series. That yeah. was in Williamson. The Williamson did those issues of Justice League for Death Metal. Mm, that was that yes. were like that. Yeah, um, but anyway, structurally, like the way the event is set up is very much in the like metal death metal um, style. I think, which I I do think like as a crossover style, even though I haven't always loved those events functionally per se, like I do think the way that they've been handling tie-ins is very good and the tie-ins are often some of my like favorite parts of the event. And so I was kind of hoping that this would be like my multiverses end of dark crisis. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't that, I don't think, I don't think it was like quite on that level, but it was really interesting. And there were parts that I did really like, um, particularly I think the stuff with Constantine was good and with him talking to the figure that like over the course of the issue you think is someone else until like at the end it's kind of revealed who it really is and I think that maybe has some like interesting implications for like Constantine and like the vertigo side of things moving forward at DC maybe maybe I'm like reading way too much into that but I can totally see coming out of this like Rom V or or one of these guys doing something with uh, Constantine. Mm-hmm. And call me crazy, I think the next thing we see from Constantine is a like return to like the Hellblazer continuity. Sure. Uh, oh, that'd be fun. I I feel like that's just the direction that DC is moving is kind of like walking back s- some of these. <laughs> uh steps that they have taken to kind of modernize things and getting back to like the way it was sure uh um, sure. and i i just feel like maybe this is setting up some of that I, mean, I might be totally wrong i really liked the stuff with uh so i you know admittedly have not finished the uh rom v swamp thing but i really liked the way that that character was used in this with john and i mm-hmm. liked this idea of kind of these legacy heroes interacting in this way i thought that i thought that was really cool um i didn't like the uh green lantern jade and obsidian stuff as much as i hoped to um i thought that was maybe like the weekly weak link of this issue um but the the john swamp thing raven stuff i i, I did enjoy and i liked the constantine stuff so uh overall i I liked it but again maybe not as much as i hoped to vincy yeah i guess the three of us are always on the same cycle aren't we um (laughs) it's just it's just a consequence of of podcasting together for so many years i i feel pretty much the exact same way i guess um in an effort to not duplicate uh, some of the stuff that zach said i i think my my big thing is I would have liked this a lot more if it was about half as long. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, this issue did feel a little bit uh, stretched out. Yeah, especially because the, there's 40 pages here, and I swear, like, they they didn't really have a story. You know, I feel like a lot of it is 
uh, Raven or Constantine standing around, uh, kind of repeating the same themes over and over again about operating in the dark and fight battling back against the dark, being the light in the dark. Uh, we are not the, the, the darkness is not the flaw in us. We're the flaw in the darkness or something like whatever they say, you know? Yeah. So much, uh, kind of narration and even like dialogue is just churning those same ideas over and over and over again. And over the course of 20 pages, that would work really well, I think. And that would, a lot of this stuff um, would, would hit a lot stronger. But over the course of 40 pages, you begin to get the idea that, okay, they're just saying the same thing over and over again. They're just repeating the thesis statement of, not only this issue, but the justice league dark is a concept, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, uh, either what you had to do was shorten the issue up a little bit to make the, to make those weighty ideas a little punchier rather than drawn out or involve some of those other characters a little more, because like at the beginning, the characters are all gathered around and then there's a select team that gets chosen to go and, and do this mission. Right. But that ends up spreading the plot even thinner than it already seemed like it was going to be, you know? Um, and the Jade and obsidian stuff. Well, it's I love seeing those characters in use again. It does take you back to a time that, that, that maybe we thought we might never get back to, but the way that they're used here is kind of inscrutable as far as like what they're doing with Alan Scott's ring. And I understand that it gives them a role to play in this mission into the ring, but I don't really, I don't really get a sense. I don't really understand. I don't, I don't really get a sense that they succeeded in any way, the same way that you get the, the triumphant, like this, the best sequence in this thing to me is John taking on the swamp thing, sort of armor. Yes. Which yeah. not only, not only looks cool, but then it ends with the triumphant moment of the full armor of the, the problem is <laughs> the armor, of the green being able to pull the obstruction out. All of that is very clear and punchy and, and, and really builds to something. And I feel like the payoff between Alan Scott and his kids was maybe not there when, when it, when it should have been, or, or they were trying to suggest that it was, I, I don't think that bit really paid off the way they wanted it to. Um, so, but all that said, like it was an enjoyable read because it was different. Right. I think, you guys alluded to that already. Like we're, we're spending time with some characters we almost never see. Um, they're doing something that's very different from the rest of the stuff that's going on in dark crisis right now, which is refreshing. I, I guess I just wish it was shorter and punchier would be my, my big critique. Uh, the art looked great. Even like, I'm not a big Derenick guy. Like Derenick is, Nah, some people might say this is blasphemy, but like comes off kind of at, like at least at this point in time, 
comes off kind of as like a DC uh, fill-in guy. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that's fair. Kind of like kind of workmanly, kind of like a like less recognizable or distinct Jurgens almost. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I think but I think his stuff works really well here. Even. I do. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, I think his stuff looks really good here. And really I think it good might be stretching a little bit how I feel, but it is uh, well, certainly. Okay. I guess like not, this is the good Derenick. <laughs> you know yes, what I mean? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, this is the good Derenick. I agree with that. Um, I I think. Yeah, but, that, oh, go ahead, Brian. I, I was just to say I, I think Vince's um. Vince coming around to saying it just needed to be punchier is is certainly correct. Uh, I give the same review to his portion of the show, though. <laughs> wow. Totally kidding, totally kidding. Um, but no. <laughs> no, just, just fucking You kidding. know that as soon as we turn the recording off, I apologize for how much I talk almost every <laughs> time, right? I'm just teasing. No, I, I think a lot of what you said was, was very, very insightful there. Uh, going back to the sort of Jade Obsidian Allen thing, I feel like they had an idea that they wanted these characters to go into the ring, which is something that happens in, you know, with Green Lanterns every now and then. I understand all of that, but there there really wasn't too much done here to make any of that make sense. They just they just thought if we say it enough times, people will believe this is what's happening. But like <laughs> the way that Obsidian uses the ring, all that, it wasn't it wasn't the most elegantly done part. But I think that if, like you said, if the issue was shorter, and there needed to be, and there didn't need to be twenty pages filled with this stuff, you could have just said, "Obsidian is going to use his power to get inside the ring," and everyone would have said, "Okay, that's fine." But because they had the extra time to kill, you sort of have to give more of a reason for that, and mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't work as well. But yeah. Uh, Zach, you were going to say something before I cut you off. Well, I was going to say I feel like this issue really like calls attention to something that we that I definitely am going to talk about in in the Dark Crisis Five portion. But um, darkness as like an abstract concept or like an abstract antagonist is is not doing this event any favors. I don't I don't believe. Um, and, and this issue, I think, kind of uh, calls attention to that. Yeah, that's a really good point, I think. Especially, uh, wh- okay, I'm really glad you brought that up. Because one of the things I thought going into this issue was that it was going to really explore and recontextualize Swamp Thing in particular's re- prior relationship with the Great Darkness which has been hinted at and and pointed out specifically, I think, by like editor's boxes or something. Yes. Ab- about how it goes back to the original crisis. And I kept waiting. Like, of course, Swamp Thing interacts with the, with the Great Darkness here in a way and through John. But I really expected uh, someone to just drive that point home or like really make the philosophical or thematic connection to those issues, which is like, that's, what's great about legacy in comics, right? Like that's, what's great about um, continuity and returning to things decades later. And that's an, and, and this is me putting, putting something there that maybe was never going to be there. You know, I'm maybe my expectations are unrealistic. So I'm, I'm leaving open the possibility for that, but I thought that's where this issue was going. 
oh, they're going to have Swamp Thing revisit the Great Darkness in a way that really uh, drives home the themes of Crisis and Swamp and Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. And in the end, they just did the most superficial thing they could do with it, which is Swamp Thing and John go into the nexus of the great darkness or whatever and and literally grab the MacGuffin out (laughs) yes i'm gonna add one more piece to that you know one of the things that is uh a a a nebulous bit of dc continuity is what exactly alan scott's power comes from like the star heart has has meant different things in different eras and there are some times that it, it almost feels like an elemental power and so i thought this was going to be a connection of the green with the star heart because those two characters are going to be at the, at the sort of center of this, but we don't really get that either. Which is something that was even done in like earth Two, the yes. Robinson Earth two. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Although that was like a slightly different version of the character, but I could totally see them doing that in, in, you know, this era of DC, but yeah, no, they didn't quite go that far. Yeah. But anyway, let's let's circle back now to Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number five, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Daniel Sampier. Um, so the, the the MacGuffin that's pulled out in the uh, great what is the the the, the, <laughs> the deadly green the deadly green I was talking about the great green <laughs> green is reefer, great reefer madness yes <laughs> truly great this green never never green as great as this. Um, <laughs> But uh, is is sort of the um, <laughs> pariah's like would we call it his ship his his like uh, it looks like vessel. the yellow submarine yes his yellow yes his <laughs> yeah it's it's like his antimatter machine or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. And, and so that and that is what is the blue meanie yes exactly uh, that is what's pulled out of the is the anti monitor the blue meanie. <laughs> I just, uh, said, I just said Dr. Manhattan is. Oh, okay. Dr. Manhattan. Okay, okay. Yeah. You're right, you're right. It definitely <laughs> is. Um, let's see. Old Fred would be Night Owl 1. Young Fred would be Night Owl 2. I can keep going here. Jeremy Hillary Boob is definitely... Um, that's a real character from the movie, guys. It is, I know. Uh, that would be... Um, I guess that's Rorschach. He kind of just creates chaos wherever Who, he goes. Who's Mime and Marionette? Uh, they would be, uh, there aren't that many characters in Yellow Submarine, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. They're the Sea of Green. Anyway, um, but yeah, so, so th- th- that is pulled out of the Great Darkness or out, out of the Green. Where is, where exactly is it pulled out of? It's in the, the Dark Nexus thing that's in the Green Lantern Ring. Because the yes. Green Lantern Ring is connected to the Great Darkness somehow. Yes. Um, but so this issue, we get to that eventually, but this issue picks up with Black Adam being attacked by the Legion of Doom and some heroes coming to find him. And uh, who are those heroes, Vince? <laughs> or who, who, um, was, who was the one hero that we're going to specifically talk about here? Uh, sideways, baby. Yeah, sideways alert. Sideways, Mr. Terrific, Aqualad, and Supergirl. Yeah, this is the most have... unbelievable thing that Josh Williamson has ever written. That Mister Terrific knows who Sideways is. <laughs> I was just gonna say they actually say Sideways's name too. 
Oh, incredible stuff. <laughs> it is it, truly it, great. You know I love a sideways appearance. I, I yeah. love all, I love it when you get a character you're not expecting to see pop up in these things. And so that was that was a lovely surprise to get our, our good friend sideways. We've got to get a sideways ongoing in whatever the next <laughs> incarnation of DC is, or at least get him on a team book. We we gotta do it. Let's make it happen, guys. Ugh. Sideways bunker. Who else is our who would be like who would be the DC three team book? Is sideways for you, bunker for me. Who else? Um, well, I guess uh the dial H, but the dial H guy from the China Maryville okay. uh, run, the the like overwave guy. Beautiful. Yeah. I can't remember I can't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a crazy trio book. <laughs> yeah. Just those three just those three characters getting through life. But anyway, uh so this this issue sees the Justice League all waking up to their um from their like you know their earths that they created we see the heroes double down as the titans which i i love you, you know me i'm the titans boy with that um but ultimately i feel like i'm saying the same thing every week when we talk every month we talk about this book is that i don't know if anything really happened in this issue <laughs> <laughs> like yes a couple of pieces got moved a little bit further down the uh further down the chessboard here but ultimately this issue started with them having to go up against deathstroke and crew and it ends with them going up against deathstroke and crew like there's not just not a lot is actually happening in terms of action some things are happening behind the scenes that will inform future issues i think but uh -huh. there really isn't that much just, you know, I feel like this is a very slow moving event, which is I, frustrating I, I, because I there's such good stuff in the middle of it. I can't believe that there's only two issues left of this. Like, yeah, it, it literally boggles the mind to think about how little has happened in this book in five issues. Yeah. More, more than anything, it, it, it I'm not pinning this on Williamson this event feels like all right we need exactly enough issues to get to december or whatever uh -huh. to whatever whatever our next thing is gonna be all these things have to line up so your book cannot do anything <laughs> right now you know even though it's the event that's centered to the dcu right now but like uh -huh. if, well, look look at this this last page like how is the last page reveal just the dark army forming again or whatever <laughs> like what now because they have the specter that was that was my question is that is are we supposed to, like I, I, I that image is obviously again like you said vince the dark army's reformation after five minutes being apart but <laughs> is are we supposed to say holy shit that's the specter i don't think yeah. this is the first time we've seen the specter is it i think like he has been you in other stuff. Right. Maybe, yeah, I, yeah, maybe. But, but the, the the way the way that he is framed in the background, though, there, there's nothing else. I guess Doomsday is there too, which we haven't really seen Doomsday. Oh, I think well, Doomsday and, has and, been in it too. Even oh, Doomsday's so, been in it. Yeah. The one other thing is is Pariah actually joining the ranks, like sure. physically. Sure. But but that's not that's not a big reveal, you know. Oh, that's not. Yeah. There's no meat on that bone. I, These so, all look like 
shitty Black Lantern yes. version of these characters. Yeah, absolutely. Right. This... Including one Black Lantern. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Man, I... This is like the most character assassination that I think Slade Wilson has ever had, it, tying <laughs> him into this event. Yeah. It, 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 the haircut and everything. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, anytime anybody is talking about Darkseid's army, I'm just... Or, uh, sorry deathstroke's army i'm just like who the who the fuck cares <laughs> it it feels yeah. just i so you know i talked about how like i think that having like the great darkness i i think it was a really great idea i just think it has been like executed so poorly because you know we're like five issues in and we don't really know anything about the Great Darkness, except that we do know from, like, ancillary tie-ins, solicits, and I think Flashpoint Beyond, that the Great Darkness isn't even really the bad guy. It's something else in it's the Great par- Darkness. Pariah, right? Isn't that... Well, no, I think it's even something else besides Pariah. <laughs> there, there's something that's in, like, one of the later solicits. I can't remember the term that's used, but I think there's something that hasn't even been revealed yet that is, like... Well, pulling the I strings. Hope, um, but... I hope it's a doozy because all the characters in in the in the green book, when they were like, "Wait, Pariah's behind all this," it made me say, "Like, uh, yeah, no shit." Yes. Did, did they not know that? Well, yeah. So that that gets again to like the point I was wanting to make is that the the great the great darkness as a villain has been very like a like amorphous and and abstract and disappointing as a concept so far, and. Deathstroke and Pariah as like the avatars of this are also wholly unsatisfying to me because the Deathstroke arc I was actually kind of vibing with what Deathstroke was doing in like Deathstroke Inc. and stuff and then and I think this is the culmination of that has been uh well I guess also in like what was that Batman crossover Shadow War that yeah like I liked that stuff this is an unsatisfying con- culmination of that to me and the pariah stuff again like anytime pariah like shows up prior to this i'm hooting and hollering but this every appearance of him i think post like the death of the justice league has just been groan inducing to me oh he's just he's just cackling yeah yeah well, that's that. That's part of my issue with this too. And look, I, I again, I want to reiterate that I think every issue has had some good stuff in it. Oh, absolutely. There, there's plenty, yeah. plenty of good plenty of moments. Good stuff, yeah. And there, and there have been some. And I think that overall, I like the direction that this is pointing the DC universe going forward. I think all of that is good. I just think that there is this. There's this thing at DC that, and I'll call Death Metal out for the same thing. I feel like Death Metal was a delivery system for a new status quo that neutered the event. That if, if Death Metal didn't have to be the delivery system for the new status quo, the event could have stood on its own better. And I feel the same way with this that this is, there's an event that's happening here. And there's the thing that's supposed to happen at the end of the event. And if you could, if you could have uncoupled those, both would have been more satisfying. But yeah. because you're trying to make both happen at the same time, they're almost fighting against each other and not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, man. Uh, sorry, Zach. You want to go? No, no. I do. I do have something I want to say, but you go ahead. 
Is it about this? Is it about that? Um, no, not not specifically. No. Okay. So, Brian, that's a very interesting point because I think yes, I think this this event is nearly interchangeable with death metal, except for what the status quo is going to be coming out of it. I think, and you know, I I wonder. This is pure speculation. But remember when death metal was supposed to have a different sort of ending yes, and it was supposed to usher in 5g and a timeline and all this stuff was supposed to spin out of that. And then it didn't happen. And they created this different epilogue and this different epilogue had the infinite frontier tease teaser stuff in it and infinite frontier rolled directly into this and and williamson and the the um justice league incarnate and now ultimately this which looks to i mean it's going to leave the multiverse in a different place than where death metal did but it's getting there basically the exact same way and it's suggesting some kind of relaunch that I, I don't believe is going to be five. It's not like they delayed it to do 5G later. It's not like we're going to get a timeline in the way that Dan DiDio. But, the, but it's almost like they felt like they needed an entirely new status quo and entirely new event, almost identical to death metal to explain what the new status quo they redecided on is. <laughs> Right, like it was too late to do that with with death metal. They were too far along, so they yeah. took two years to basically do the same thing with a different ending. Yeah, so essentially we've just been in a holding pattern until. Yeah, yeah. I because I, can I don't see that, and I feel that. Um... Well, did I tell you guys the weirdness about the solicits for this month? Lay it on me, string bean. So the solicits for this month, and sometimes this happens with DC, it won't be like just the December solicits. The solicits, I want to say, covered all of December and maybe the first week or maybe even two weeks of this. It's the first week I, I, of December. I do think January. that they typically do that for like the end of the year. I feel like well, I remember that happening in previous years. They do that sometimes, but they also do it whenever there's a big thing happening mid-month sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, when the next batch of solicits drop, they won't have to cover the stuff in January that isn't a part of that event. Or isn't part of that like status quo, and you know the the solicits came out last week. New York Comic Con is next week, mm-hmm. and so I think at New York Comic Con they're going to announce whatever the next big thing is. I think you're going to see that all reflected coming the second week of January. That doesn't seem unreasonable. Um. I I wanted to talk about how I feel like this book at multiple times, but especially like there was a part in this issue that really made me feel it. Um, The part beginning in the section where like the multiversal map is like degrading. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess not like in the first page, but like mid issue where they bring that back again and you kind of have like the heroes regrouping and there's this sort of big monologue um, about like, 
you know, the calls to the heroes and some rejected it. And I guess that's supposed to be Jaime Reyes. I, I had that question for you. If that was, if that was Jaime, I think it is. Yes. I think it is. And then like this hint about new heroes, which is the red canary character, which we keep getting teases of, but haven't seen do anything significant so far. And we've had segments like this in previous issues of the series, I think that to me are like supposed to be evoking the feel of certain scenes in the original crisis and infinite crisis. I feel like both of those books had these kind of small downtime world building, looking at the heroes moments that were very satisfying because they were kind of like smaller moments that were a time to breathe amidst all the other big things that were happening in the series but this book doesn't have any big things happening to earn these <laughs> kinds of moments. And so it just kind of feels emotionally manipulative to me. Do, do either of you feel that? I'm um, overstating how I feel a little bit, but not, not terribly. So. Yeah. I wouldn't say emotionally manipulative more, more so. Um, uh, I guess by that, I mean like evoking a feeling that isn't quite, Playing to nostalgia in a very specific way, I guess, is kind of how I'm feeling. See, I, oh, yeah. I did not, I did not get specifically Crisis and Infinite Earths or Infinite Crisis feelings from that. I just got this is what happens in event comics feelings. Like I did I not. Yes, to me, it's, that, yeah, that's that's not. I'm not saying I'm right about that. That's just sure. sort of how I felt about it. You know. Okay. Um, it's also um, it also may be t these are scenes that are teasing maybe what's going to come out of this, you know, like, right. Obviously we're going to figure out who the, the red canary is and, and, and she or they may, may very well be starring in a book coming out of this. And, and, and there, obviously, is that, there is that uh blue beetle uh, graduation day book starting very soon. Yep, yep, and 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 which is funny because wasn't that a uh, a a rejected DC Rob Robin. Robin book? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and 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 so I think you know, this book is clearly the, the thing that I feel every time I read this book is that this is a refutation, not like a mean spirited one or like an end zone dance, but it's a refutation of. The idea, you know, whether it was fair or not during the DiDio uh, kind of New 52 and maybe slightly before that uh, idea that DiDio wasn't a fan of legacy or certain legacy characters or the Teen Titans in specific. And that these characters or these concepts would get the short shrift during that time. Um, I don't know that that was always fair. I, I know that that's something that's been hung on him a lot over the years. Um, but this, this really feels like a stealth celebration of not only the Titans, but just the youth in general across, across the line. And I think they're very overt about that. I'm not saying anything that's like insightful or that nobody uh, could figure out just by reading this comic, you know, but, um, uh, on those grounds, it's it's refreshing, and there's a lot of these little moments that really work for me, not because they're so earth-shattering or worthy of a crisis-level book, but because um, I just like these characters, and I like the, the youth of the DCU. 
and I think it's cool that the focus is on them. Um, so I don't think it's uh, I forget exactly how you put it, Zach. Um, but I, I, I do think it's a little underwhelming or, or, or I, w- or I wish there was a better event around that stuff. I don't, I don't think these scenes in themselves are a, are a crime or anything. Um, oh, I don't think that they are a crime per se. Um, I just feel like they are un, maybe unearned. Is it even the best way? It just, it feels like in my, to me, it is evocative of, of, the feeling of past events that maybe had more meat on the bone, I guess. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah. Okay. And to expound upon that, like you, you specifically mentioned infinite crisis, infinite crisis was something that felt like it was like, even though it reestablished kind of how the multiverse works or whatever, um, or recontextualized it, it very much was an event in the middle of a living, breathing continuity that you felt was still going to feel the same coming out of it more or less as it was going in. It wasn't, it wasn't wholesale change. It wasn't uh, necessarily the end or beginning of something. It was a, it was a massive event stuck in the middle of this great, you know, decades long continuity that would continue beyond it. And now I feel like with, with death metal and with this, every one of these events is calling attention to it, to itself as if it were the last thing before something completely before some sort of tabula rasa. Right. And, and then that makes it like, when you when you know that that's not going to be the case or when there aren't these like earth shattering things where like heroes are dying or you know um like there there's no, there's nothing like uh Barry Allen or 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 Supergirl dying in this right at least not yet um and that's what you think of when you think of crisis mm-hmm. um but not just the act itself just what it meant for this living, breathing continuity here. You, with these events, you feel like all of the stuff these heroes and villains are doing is ultimately going to give way to a, a, a complete washing away of everything that came before or, or trying to have it both ways, right? Like uh, that coming out of this, it is going to be the infinite frontier stuff again, um except but we really supposed- mean it this time <laughs> yeah 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 thank you yeah yeah, yeah exactly, exactly well here's a yeah. here, here's it a feels like a blank slate that also acknowledges everything that came before it you know right yes yeah so here's the that just popped in my head is part of this ineffective because we know there's not going to be that barry allen supergirl uh, sacrifice. I feel like the point of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and maybe just Crisis on Infinite Earths, was to truly shake up the way that everything was being told. There was no precedent for doing what that was, and the problem with the crises as they gone on is most of them, 
just wind up being more self-referential to other crises, other crises rather, than telling an entirely new story. That's what makes Final Crisis so exciting is because Final Crisis does have that death of Batman as part of it. It does have the death of Darkseid as part of it. And it just has this like, it, it it's not just trying to say, hey, remember the crisis that came before? It's doing something new. This feels a little bit like it's just a reflection of past crises, but also the point of this is to undo things that happened, not to do new things. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, we've talked about this before too, but I, I think it's also definitely a case of diminishing returns, you know, like, uh, although zero hour has kind of been like retroactively cast as a, as a crisis, you know, at the, I don't know if I don't know exactly when that like really kind of. I mean, the 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 it series crisis in time. Crisis in time, yeah, yeah, so. that's that's true, that's true. But Infinite Crisis was the like first kind of most overly like it was the sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it it was the first one to really do that. You know, is that fair? Yes, I yeah. I think with Zero Hour they were gun shy to say. Like this is a sequel to Crisis Infinite Earths. This is a big deal. They 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 wanted to play it cooler than that. Right, right. Whereas like Infinite Crisis was a full on sequel, went full full bore, and you know whether or not you like it, I'm definitely someone who falls in the camp of liking it. It did some interesting things with those characters, and the fallout from it was also interesting. And then yeah, Final Crisis was again very different. But I feel like every crisis level event since that point, um, with the I guess Flashpoint not so much because it was it it was doing its own thing. But I guess I'm specifically thinking about Dark Knight's Metal and Death Metal. It becomes so, and now with Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, it, it is so much just about this metatextual conversation about crisis less so than what we have kind of already beaten to the ground of, of telling a new story. It's, it's just about this. Uh, it's almost not even crises aren't even about stories anymore. They are about the meta text. They're, they're about the tapestry, but not even yep. in like an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You want to know the thing I liked about this issue? Sure. It paid off really well on the best of the World Without a Justice League issues, which was the Superman one. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. we don't know that because we have Green Arrow next week. You're right. And we still have the Batman one, but the best so far. Uh, uh, the Batman one's not going to be good. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to whoever. Uh, Superman turning into cosmic Superman. Pretty good yeah. stuff. That that sequence where the world without a Justice League versions of the Justice League descend on Pariah that that was a pretty cool scene, I will say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and again, like it's a shame that that really cool Martian Manhunter design will be used exactly twice in comics history. Sure, yeah, that, that that one issue, and then here in the background of one panel. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, I, I think all that stuff worked reasonably well. Um, Metal Gar Solid. <laughs> yes, there it is. 
<laughs> Beast Boy's back with an eye patch. Yes, that part's really good too. There, there's, there's, I mean, in every issue, there's a handful of really nice moments. Uh, I just think the the whole thing is so n- both nebulous and on the nose about it's just heroes fighting avatars of the dark again. Yeah. Um, which, which isn't interesting to me. I'm invested in what comes out of it. There are moments in every issue that I enjoy. Um, I just wish, I guess this is just how big events are at DC. Now. I I just wish there was something more, I guess. I I don't want to hold everything to the Morrison standard again. Although, you know, I'm constantly referencing them. Um, But just think about, remember that teaser before final crisis where like there's that meeting of like the secret society of, of villains and, and uh, the, the, ah, damn it. The name is escaping me, but the, the, the villain with the scales um, Libra Libra. Yeah. Thank you. Like imagine if, if Libra were like, the main antagonist for the first part of this story, not Libra in particular, but a character on the level of Libra, right? Instead, we get, like Zach has said, Deathstroke reappropriated for something that hasn't been Deathstroke's status quo for like a very long time, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, it's just, I, I, I wish they would find these pockets of interest in characters that don't get overused than shoving all the big bads in our face constantly. I, uh, I think because... there is something like slightly not poetic, but right about this configuration of like this being a Titan story and making Deathstroke the main villain, but yes. the way that he is the villain is so uninteresting and like because he lacks all really agency. Yeah. He's not really the villain. He's Wait, just, he's not. He's not the villain, and he has no agency. Yes, exactly. He is just. He is the delivery system for the villain. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Vince, though, you did mention things being more sodian, and I also I did feel like that line from Superman: "The like I have become lucid. This place is only a prison, so far as our imagination will will it." <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty satisfyingly Morrisonian. Yes. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I know it, it probably sounds like we're coming off as being very, very hard on this book, but I think it's because we all see really good things that could be part of this that that aren't for whatever reason, and we, we want it to be better. We're not trying to be unnecessarily hard on it, although maybe we're coming off that way. Well, and I, I also think that like we are, are like as comic readers are kind of trained to not expect much from events, but I I don't think that that is the case for DC because I generally think DC's events like not all not like the crossovers or like the smaller events, but like the big tentpole events are generally quite good and in a way evergreen that most like Marvel events are not. Well, it used to be because there were there were so many fewer uh, DC events than Marvel events. Uh, yeah, and mm-hmm. in, and in some ways there still are if you if you're looking at just like pure tentpole events. I think you know. Sure, sure. Marvel still does like two or three a year, where DC 
usually only does one. And it's usually one every two years. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and so they, they do feel a bit grander. And I, I do typically think, like, you know, even as much, you know, as many qualms as I have with, like, Dark Knights and, and Death Metal, there are really good things in those books. Um, and they, they feel important and like the scope they i don't there's there's still something special about them but again i think we're just like continually having diminishing returns on them and and i think that there's such good bones on this you know especially like the art we haven't really talked about the art in this issue but like sam pierre continues to just you know blow it out of the water it's so so good there is not a part of this book that doesn't look great yeah um it, yeah it's fantastic and and i think on the art alone this will go down as like a really memorable dc event just just on the strength of the art but i i just wish there was more than that yeah i mean it's 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 really just the central conflict of the entire event itself that's underwhelming and 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 that's it to me but unfortunately that's like what are what are what are superhero stories if not for stories about conflict you know and uh that's unfortunate because everything else is is really enjoyable and I, the book could do like, like if, if there is something else going on and there's this big reveal in one of these last two issues and it's something we really don't expect, I'm, I'm willing to be blown away, but the, the, the villainous conflict itself is just so rote and so paper thin to me. Yeah. Um, that I, I, so Brian, when you say like, we sound like we're coming off harsh. I'm literally only talking about that aspect of it. Sure. Unfortunately, that's like the biggest thing the book has going right, right, right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do feel like every issue has had the same cliffhanger. I I, I know that it is not, <laughs> and I don't have them it's, all open, but it feels that way. It's it Pariah. It's the Dark Army. Oh, it's uh, the it's the uh, Legion of Doom. It's the Dark Army again. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're not wrong. It does very much feel that way. So, yeah. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about our final issue of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster... A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back to talk about Gotham City Year One. Uh, I feel like this is a classic case of a book title that is trying to fit into a 
like DC theme of year ones. This is not about the first year of Gotham City, folks. Don't uh, don't be fooled. <laughs> anyway, uh, it is written by Tom King. It is illustrated by Phil Hester. And uh, I think I spoke too much last time. So, Zach, why don't you start us off with this one? I kind of liked this. Oh, boy. I kind of like we got, too. We got, a, we got a Tom King guy on our hands now. Zach's I, the Tom I, King guy. But, but I kind of like this, too. I didn't love this. Yeah. I, I kind of like this. The art, again, does a lot of the heavy lifting here. This is very good Phil Hester art, I think. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but I, there is enough mystery and intrigue. And I actually think Tom King does a good noir bit here. I don't think it's like too overwritten. Um, I, I generally found this compelling and I like, I know Vince, I don't want to tip your hand a little bit, but I know you said you fell asleep, uh, reading it. Um, but I, I felt generally pretty gripped by this. Um, and I, I genuinely kind of want to know what happens next. Yeah. I, before we let Vince yell at us about this, Hmm. um, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Zach. First of all, Phil Hester is so fucking good. He's just, he is doing great work here. And it it helps some of the less uh, developed or less interesting pieces of the story are washed over by really good art. So that that is certainly a big part of it. It's also, I think that when King is left to his own devices, he takes things too far for my taste a lot of times, but because he's boxed in by the classic noir trappings, he has to limit his scope. And because of that, I think he writes a better script here than he normally would. And while there are parts of this that are still a little bit ham fisted, he doesn't do the, like not every woman's a dame or a mall. Like there, there's just, he, he doesn't overdo the noir speak. It, it reads pretty well. And I, I, I do would, I did enjoy this uh, for the most part. Now Vince, tell us how we're wrong. Um, you're not that wrong. I, I think. I don't know. I promise not to talk about Tom King on this show anymore. Um, but here we are. Well, you you voted to talk about this versus the new Joker book, so that's right. That's right. I was given, I was given a, a, a truly impossible, impossible choice, yeah, <laughs> an impossible problem with an obvious answer. I think, um, if that makes any sense. Um, here's what I think. I think this is mercifully free from those annoying Tom. King ticks we talk about one of the things he tends to do at least in my opinion is shove inane dialogue into characters mouths in the name of humor or what he thinks is humor or repetition that is supposed to suggest the idea of cleverness on the part of the writer and is really just a guy smelling his own farts through a, one of those devices from that episode of South Park. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Um, yes of course. Uh, that's 
the this book is pretty much free from that stuff. The art is gorgeous. Um, the mystery is compelling, although again, like I don't know how much more I need to see about the secret history of Gotham City or the Waynes or Bruce. Uh, there's secrets about your identity that even you don't know. I, I don't know how invested I am in all of that. That's I, I the guess worst part I, of this. The Batman stuff at the end is the worst part of this. Yeah, but even but even how it's hinted at with the this is one thing that Tom King does that drives me nuts. He's got that note that has the bat mark left on it. Mm-hmm. And then someone starts calling it the bat dash man. Mm-hmm. Like the, fir- the first uh, appearance of Batman was spelled that way, you know, right. That comes off to me as a writer going, Oh, this is so fucking clever that I'm doing this, you know, but, but in the end, there better be a fucking good reason why this guy connected to the Waynes is calling himself the Batman before the Batman was ever around. And, and this is this is supposed to be Bruce's grandparents, right? Yeah. 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 So this is considerably before Batman He's, is around. So uh, Twinkle and his father's unborn is, is, is unborn, unborn father. Yeah. I, I think I think this is a key thing that I haven't even really unpacked yet because I I was vibing with the issue so much and then you get the present day stuff or like quote unquote present day with old slam and and bruce as batman at the end but up until that point i was reading this as kind of like an out of continuity elseworldsy type thing and so so that the batman thing did not bother me because that's just like a, a vestige of you know that's like an echo or something right but then when you bring in bruce and the present day at the end it's like is this in continuity? I I think it is. I, I, I mean, I I I don't think they're. No, I could be wrong. I'm fully admitting I could be wrong. I don't think you call this book Gotham City Year One and set it outside of continuity. Yeah, I think you're right. I about don't. It. I don't think you do. I just, you know, that just doesn't seem like something DC would do. Could be wrong, willing to be wrong, but this could be one of the infinite earths. Yes. Yep. But then I still don't think you call it Gotham City Year One. You know what I mean? Well, that title also still doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It doesn't. In no way. Like, there's almost, I almost cannot imagine a book at this point that you could call Gotham City Year One and it would make sense. You it could would do be it. The- Got Gates of Gotham backstory. Yeah, basically, that's no, like the only thing you could do. It, it would be from fucking All Star Western. Yeah, yes, sure. Yes. That's, that's what right. it would be. That, yeah, that that's works. Right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, so yeah, so I don't think the title is apt the way it is, but I think it. I still think it means something to someone, and so <laughs> you you don't call a book that if it's set outside of continuity no i I think i think you could call this to a certain degree like the wayne's year one even though it's not because again the wayne's are an all-star western but like Uh this this appears to what they're saying here is that this is sort of the like the modern gotham city starts here right like this is this is where the gotham that the batman needs to be born into starts Mm -hmm. but there's no way to elegantly say that they just say gotham city year one yeah so then what if it's Simon Hurt? <laughs> it's not Simon Hurt. 
But what um, if it is though? But it's not. That would well, actually well, work for the Batman thing. Sure, but that would be yes, it would, and that would be a way better idea than what I think is going to happen. Which I don't know. I don't have like a concocted answer for what I think is going to happen. I just know it's going to be disappointing or possibly upsetting. <laughs> um, but so so I just don't like when he does stuff like that. I I just know that that's not going to bear out into some. I'm again, I'm w- fully willing to be proven wrong, but I've seen this happen so many times now where that little, Oh, I'm so clever thing doesn't amount to anything. It was just a reference or it was just a whatever. Um, the other, like the other thing about this, I really enjoy the fact that the backdrop of this is kind of a Gotham city, uh, mid segregation slash gentrification of the North versus the South. Like all of that stuff rings fairly true in like a, Hey, this is a comic and we need to deliver this information to you in, in a very rote way. Um, But I, I think that's an interesting angle, especially to take with slam Bradley, who was like back in the day, like comics were racist back then. <laughs> right, right. They're racist as all hell. And there are some nods made to about like uh you know, one of his um one of his old uh, uh Gotham PD part partners who is now working for the Waynes at Wayne Manor so, makes some mention of uh, you know, I was there when you did that to that black man or whatever. Yeah. And it kind of leaves you wondering what that's about. I think it's interesting. I think that's a very interesting angle, but it it makes me bristle a little bit because I'm not sure it's going to be entirely honest about Slam Bradley and that era and those origins because we also have him like presuming that, that he is narrating this part. We also have him driving around talking about (laughs) like, how racism's bad or whatever. Well, that, like, that that's exactly... I, I was going to talk about that. Finish your point, then I, I want to come back to that. I was just going to say, like, shit he never would have said uh, back in the day, which I'm, I'm, I'm not condemning a potential reinvention of the character, but Tom King is going to have to do a lot of work if we're supposed to believe that, that Slam Bradley still has origins steeped in racism and then he got over it (laughs) or now all of a sudden he's, you know what I mean? Yes. And I want that to be the case. I want like, I want comics to reckon with their racist past and try to do good going forward or fix that. Or I'm very much like, I'm not trying to say like slam Bradley should be a raging racist (laughs) for the rest of time, but I'm just saying that it, it is a very difficult high wire act to do. And then part of me wonders if we shouldn't just leave, leave slam in the past. I don't know. I mean, slam has been left in the past for the last 50, 60 years, essentially. I mean, yeah, he pops up here and there. He owned, he owned the bar in future state or whatever. Right. But, but, but in terms of really reckoning with the character, it's been, you know, a lifetime since, since that stuff was, was really, 
dealt with. And, and, and that's one of my notes about this too. My least favorite part of all of this is that I just felt that King was trying to have it both ways here, where on one hand, he is trying to make Slam a less despicable character by having him say like, you know, there's a whole thing about North Gotham and South Gotham and how like there's justice and or pe- people, people want safety on both, whatever it is. It's a very like, it's a very 2022 discussion of these, uh, of, of that issue. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not true to who Slam Bradley, the character is, nor the era in which this is happening. But on the right. same token, I feel like even the racism in here is not handled in a way that feels authentic to the era either. Like everything just feels off with all of that, with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just an unfortunate reality of, of this book is that all that stuff feels a little bit uh, just off to me. Yeah. But, you know, Ultimately, I didn't hate this book. Like, like you guys said, you kind of liked it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I can say I liked it, but I, yes, I did fall asleep the first time I tried to read it. Um, but I, I do think it's not bad. It's just not something I care to see Tom King investigate. Um, it's just, it's just not. Like I said, it's it's free of the bad ticks that sometimes come with a King book, but, but it's, it's just something I am. I'm, I'm not interested in, in this writer exploring really. I, I do think the mystery is well drawn. Um, I, I do even, I even like, I think I've detected like some, some purposeful red herrings thrown into the book. Like there's the mention of, uh, the baby Helen's, uh, blank, when Helen's abducted and her blanket is gone, it's an owl blanket. Yep. Which makes you think, you know, court of owls or something, but that seems like an obvious red herring. Same with like, there's a line right around that same scene where, where, uh, uh, Constance Wayne says that, uh, Mr. Wayne keeps a separate bedroom and he likes everything pristine, virginal, (laughs) which, you know, Come on, like that's got to be a red herring because otherwise you just gave away the entire game right there. That that he is somehow abusing, if not his own daughter, like kid, other kids, you know, or right. or whatever. Um, but I kind of like that those are in there because they they read as as um again like hard boiled noir uh, red herrings to me which is, has always been an element of those stories. Yeah. So there's stuff to like here. I I see why you guys like it. I just, I don't have interest in this setting, I think. And that's totally fair. Yeah, Yeah. it is. I didn't expect to. um, So how many issues is this? Probably too many. I'm going to guess. (laughs) <laughs> there's no out of a number on here i think it i want to say it's six it's probably six 
I, I, I have a feeling. Hang on. Talk amongst yourselves for a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out. You guys have a talk about um, that. Yeah, uh, sorry. I, I was also already, I was looking it up as well. Why don't, uh, why don't Vincey, why don't you tell us what's coming out next week as I'm looking this up? All right. I'll just have to back up in my box here. Uh, it's six issues. Okay. There you go. All right. Next week, Batgirls 11, Batman Incorporated, number one, Batman, Urban Legends, number 20, Batman versus Robin, number two. Dark Crisis, Worlds Without a Justice League, Green Arrow, number one. DC's Terrors Through Time, number one. Future State Gotham, 18. I Am that's Batman, also, That's 14. the last issue. Oh, yeah, last issue alert. Uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El, 16. The Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries, number one. I don't normally mention the Scooby-Doo books, but this is a new number one. So I think hopefully we should read this, that. Hopefully this one Scooby actually does do. <laughs> Call no. it Batman and Velma. <laughs> if we if we read that book, I, I hope listeners understand that the entire thing is going to be us doing James Austin Johnson <laughs> doing Trump. Trump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, it is, it is, and that's why we should do it. Frankly, um, <laughs> the Jurassic League number six, another final issue alert, I believe. Yes. Um, and Wonder Woman 792. I I think we have to do Batman and Scooby because it's a Sholly Fish joint. It is a fun, oh yeah, a Sholly Fish yes. joint. Yeah, big. You know, we are fish heads. Sholly Fish guys, <laughs> we're fish heads. Really, probably fish heads. So I think we're probably gonna do what Batman Inc. One. We can't tell. Six. We don't. We don't, this all off air. We just gave one oh, tease. Geez. Okay. Ah, yeah. oh, we might guys. We might be reading a lot of books this week. It's, it's gonna be. It's gonna be four or five. I know. Mm. No, mm. I think it's. Uh, uh, by my count, it's uh, four. I know which one you're not counting, and I'm I, I'm not going to make you read it, but... Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. Anyway. Let's call it tease. We're teasing. Yes, exactly. We're teasing our listeners. Yeah. Pay us $5 a month if you want to hear more. Exactly. Patreon.com slash EC3Cast. Um, and speaking of that, if you have to get in touch with us, two-thirds of us are on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. And I'm at The Woke of Z. If you need to find Vince, he is running a very suspicious business. He is importing possums into Tennessee for uh, reasons that are totally unknown. For reasons unknown. It's a good song. Anyway, thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week. Happy then. There was a bear on my lawn the other day. A bear? Yeah, that that happens a lot around here. That's not that's not too unusual. I mean, I feel like that's pretty intimidating. I don't know. Oh I... no, they're they they have they have no interest in you. They just want your garbage. That's well, yeah. The one that was the whole... bear talk though, like okay, if you oh, see yeah. a bear, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, the one that was on the phone with my mom. And you guys have been to my house. I was sitting in the living room looking out the front window, and a bear just like came from around the corner and walked up my front steps, like <laughs> to the street. And I was like, oh, the bear's just out visiting. Um, but yeah, the bears get into the garbage and stuff. It's, it happens. Are they like so, big bears? Yeah, 350 pounds or so. Yeah. You ever just invite them in for a beer? Nope. Nope. I have not Goldilocks the situation in reverse yet. <laughs> Haven't reverse Goldilocks. Try my beds. Uh... And, uh, <laughs> it out. No, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs>